Okay, I've got 629. We get everybody in, we'll close those doors and get started. Thank you for coming back out. We had uh, last week uh, was a break, Valentine's Day. The Wednesday night before that, you got to watch TV. You saw the big screens. I didn't let anybody know in advance. We were actually, we took all the staff to a church leadership conference in Savannah, Georgia, and I'm going to tell you, it was powerful. Uh, it was good for me, good for our staff to get away and let, uh, we were the ones ministered to. So we've come back fired up. So I warn you tonight, put your seatbelts on, because we're going we're gonna to roll. We've got a lot to cover tonight, powerful. Uh, let's begin in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this glorious revelation of who you are and what you're going to do. So Lord, tonight I ask you in Jesus' name that you'd open our mind to understand the Scriptures so that we might know you, the one true God in Jesus whom you have sent, and we might be prepared so that we can prepare others for the reality of your eternal kingdom. I pray this, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago I read a book by Dr. David Jeremiah, Agents of the Apocalypse, and we'll give him credit, a lot of ideas and form, actually form, came uh, from reading that book, so I want to acknowledge with thanks Dr. David Jeremiah. The Revelation, if you were here for the first session, here's my goal, my goal all along to do these 12 sessions is this, most people will not read the book of Revelation because they're intimidated by it, they don't think they can understand it, if I could show you the framework of Revelation, if I could show you the main characters of Revelation, then I think that would bridge, build a bridge to the material so you can read it and understand it. That's been my goal. So with that goal, Revelation opened with session one, the church. Seven churches in Asia Minor. Seven churches, real churches, real people, in a real place. They were actually located in what we know today as modern Turkey. The second session, which we actually showed on the screens, I pre-recorded it for the trip, is the martyrs. They're the souls of those who had been uh, martyred during the tribulation. I don't believe they're church age. I believe they're during the tribulation martyrs under the altar of God crying out, How long, O Lord, before you give us justice? Now tonight, it gets really interesting. The 144,000, I'm going to call them evangelists. You won't see the word in there. You'll see the job. There are 144,000 Jewish people. Let me begin tonight by reading a paragraph out of that Dr. David Jeremiah book. He describes it well. Let's start there. He says this, during the tribulation, let me, let me define that. Seven years. Seven years that follow what I believe to be the rapture of the church. During the tribulation, the Antichrist will work to consolidate his power and exalt himself in the Holy of Holies in Jerusalem. That means they're going to have to rebuild the temple for him to be able to do that. He will exalt himself in the Holy of Holies in Jerusalem. While he is crushing those who refuse to bow before his statue, the greatest spiritual awakening of all time will take place. Did you catch that? Because that's what we're talking about tonight. If I ask you a trivia question, what do you think, biblically speaking, will be the greatest spiritual awakening in human history? Most of you would get it wrong. Tonight you're going to read a biblical description of the greatest spiritual awakening that will take place in human history during the tribulation. Huh. And this awakening will come through the ministry of 144,000 sealed Jewish evangelists. Their story is another dramatic demonstration of the way God takes care of His people during the era of trial and tribulation, reminding us that God has not cast away His people whom He foreknew. Now, if you're in the room tonight and you were raised in a church, or maybe you've adopted it on your own, this idea of replacement theology, that somebody told you when you were growing up that the church replaced Israel. 
If you're in the room tonight and you have been taught that that's the doctrine, that anytime you see Israel in the Bible, in the New Testament, you can just scratch over it and write the word church. I will refute that doctrine tonight. Not me, the Word of God will refute that doctrine. Number two, if you were raised in the church and nobody ever told you about a rapture, and you think that rapture is those edgy people who make you a little afraid when you meet them, I will refute that doctrine. The Word will refute that doctrine. And I'll tell you up front so that you can get a grin as we start. If you have never believed there's going to be a rapture of the church tonight, I will prove to you that if you believe in the Bible, yes, you do. You just don't know it yet. But you'll find out tonight. So, here we go. Two things we're going to, we're going to be able to see. Is Israel done? Paul writes a letter. We call it the book of Romans. It is a letter to a Gentile church in the church age. Now, what's the church age? From the day of Pentecost until now, until Jesus calls his bride home for the wedding. It's the church age. We live in the time of the church, okay? Paul writes the book of Romans to a bunch of believers. They're Gentiles. They're not Jewish. I'm not going to say there's not Jewish people in the church at Rome, but it's primarily Romans. Think about it. Romans. They're not Jewish, they're Romans. So he writes this letter to Gentiles in the church age. What does he say? Romans 11.1 1. I ask then, has God rejected his own people, the nation of Israel? Of course not. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. No. What's he talking about? Is God through with Israel? Can we go in the Bible and erase that Israel and write in church? No. God has not rejected His own people, whom He chose from the very beginning. Do you realize what the Scripture says about this? Elijah the prophet complained to God about the people of Israel and said, Lord, they have killed your prophets, torn down your altars, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And do you remember God's reply? He said, no. I have 7,000 others, besides you, Elijah, I have 7,000 others who have never bowed down to Baal. Baal is just a picture of pagan idolatry. Fill in the blanks, whatever that idolatry is. 7,000. Now, do you understand the context? Elijah's just had this incredible encounter with God on Mount Carmel. By the way, I've had the chance to go to the top of Mount Carmel. There's a statue on top of Mount Carmel with Elijah with his foot on the neck of one of the, the, the false prophets, ready to cut his head off. That's the statue. You're talking about politically incorrect. Elijah's just had this encounter with God. He's killed the 450 prophets of Baal, called down fire from heaven. He ran, outran uh, King Ahab's chariot. He sits down under a broom tree, gets the message that Jezebel's coming to kill you, and he asks God if it's okay to die. The power one woman has over that man. He's scared to death. God calls him to the mountain, reveals to him what? Elijah says, I'm the only one left, Lord. Everybody's forsaken you. Everybody's turned away from you. What's God said? I have reserved. Listen, listen, this is the foundation tonight. I have reserved unto myself 7,000 that I have sealed. I have marked them. They are mine. I possess them. They will follow me. Elijah, you're not the only one left. And you know what Elijah's going to do? God tells Elijah, I want you to go about your business while you wait for those 7,000 to rise up and take over when you're done. And your being done will be marked by what, church? I'm going to rapture you. And when I rapture you, there will be a group who will follow you, whom I have sealed. Somebody stay with me. I told you to get your seatbelts on. When I rapture you, after that, I have reserved 7,000 who have not bowed to idolatry. They'll carry on after you're gone. There's your preview for, what's the context of Paul bringing this up? Is God done with Israel? Now, verse 5, it is the same today. 
We're in the church age. He's talking to Gentiles. It is the same today. What's the same today? God has, has sealed some people. He has marked some people who are going to carry on his work. It's the same today. For a few of the people of Israel have remained faithful because of God's grace, his undeserved kindness in choosing them. So here's a what if for tonight. What if the church age, which again, Pentecost, that's 50 days after Passover, 50 days after the cross of Christ. What if the church age from Pentecost to the rapture, the next trumpet, was God's door of salvation opening to the Gentiles. But the rapture is the door closing day for the Gentiles. That opens a final door to the Jewish people. Are you all with me? What if? I want to throw this out tonight because this is what I believe the Bible reveals. That from the day of Pentecost until the rapture of the church, let's call it the church age. It is the age of the Gentiles. It is when God has opened up a door for Gentiles, non-Jewish people, to come to salvation through Jesus Christ. But what if, when that last Gentile comes in, when that trumpet blows and the church rises to meet the Lord in the air, what if the days that follow that are specifically designed by God to turn Israel, the Jewish people scattered all over the earth, to Christ? The final door. It'll last seven years. Some people believe that God is done with the Jews and the church have replaced Israel regarding the promises of Scripture and the covenant itself. Paul, again, I'm going to go to chapter 11, verse 11. He's writing to a Gentile church in Rome when he says these words. Did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? Talking about the Jews. Of course not. They were disobedient, so God made salvation available to the Gentiles. But he wanted his own people to become jealous and claim it for themselves. Now, if the Gentiles were enriched because the people of Israel turned down God's offer of salvation, think how much greater a blessing the world will share when. Notice the word when. Not if, not maybe. When they, who? The Jews finally accept accept it i am saying all this especially for you gentiles god has anointed appointed me as the apostle of the gentiles and i stress this for i want somehow to make the people of israel jealous of what you gentiles have now when do we gentiles have it we have it in the church age we have it now and he wants the Jews to get jealous of what the church has received during the church age. Paul is specifically an apostle to who? The Gentiles. So, and he says, let me go back to verse 14. For I somehow want to make the people of Israel jealous of what you Gentiles have, so that I might save some of them. Who's the them? The Jews. For since their rejection meant that God offered salvation to the rest of the world. When? During the church age. We live in it. You're in it right now, you bunch of Gentiles. That's us. Since their rejection opened a door. What happens if that door closes? Who comes next? You see it formulating? Since their rejection meant that God offered salvation to the rest of the world, their acceptance. Did you know? He's prophesying their acceptance in the future. Their acceptance will be even more wonderful. When, when are they going to do that? We're going to talk about that tonight. What will their acceptance look like? Look at the next sentence. It'll be life for those who were dead. dead. It'll be life for those who are dead. Who's he referring to? Gentiles? No, he's not. He's talking about the Jewish people in the future when they finally accept Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. Verse 16. And since Abraham and the other patriarchs were holy, which is, who's the, who's the first Jewish guy? Sometimes I, I think we go too far and not back up so people understand. Who are these Jewish people? Where'd they come from? They came from Abraham. Who had a son named Isaac, and then Jacob, and then there's 12, and then there's a whole bunch of them. 
Okay? And because he says, and since Abraham, he's the root of the tree. Okay? God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to take you and I'm going to bless all the nations of the world because of what I'm about to do to you. And you're going to have a son named Isaac and he's going to have a son named Jacob. And Jacob's going to have 12. And no, I can't count all of them and say them out loud. And then there's going to be millions of them. And, and since Abraham and the other patriarchs were what? Holy. Their descendants will also be holy. Just as the entire batch of dough is holy because the portion given as an offering is holy. For if the roots of the tree are holy, the branches will be holy. Who's the root of the tree? What God did with Abraham is going to form a race of people. Has he abandoned them? No. Has he forgotten about him? No. Did he replace them with the church? No. No. In fact, their rejection of the Jewish Messiah opened up a window of opportunity for you and I to come to Christ. Somebody say hallelujah. Thank you. Because he opened up that door. If you look at Israel, if you look at the Jewish people today, and most people in the room, probably you don't know this, if you go to Israel, if you study the Jewish people, they are unbelievers. Most of Israel, even today, most of Israel, the Jews today, are unbelievers. Not just unbelievers in Jesus. No, 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 no. Unbelievers even of God. They practice ritual. Now, there's Orthodox Jews. There's a lot of different. I don't have time to go into that. But most of them still live in what we would describe as unbelief regarding Jesus as Messiah. The Bible predicts that they will be enemies of the gospel. Enemies. Not neutral. Enemies of the gospel of Christ. Now, I want you to understand, this church supports a Jewish ministry in Tel Aviv, Israel. Uh, it's called uh, Duget Ministry. I've been to their, to their um, where they minister there in Tel Aviv. I've met the, the people themselves. They're Messianic Jews. They believe Jesus is the Messiah. They preach the gospel, same gospel we preach. And man, are they persecuted. The Orthodox Jews who do not believe Jesus is the Messiah, they do everything to stop them. Everything. There's life threats on their life. So as a whole, the Jewish people in Israel have not accepted Jesus as Messiah. Is something going to happen to change that? A smile. What would change that? Because they're, the Orthodox Jews are very religious. They just don't believe Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Could anything change that and open the eyes of Israel to see the Messiah? Why can't they see Jesus as Messiah? I see it so clearly. I read the Old Testament. You know who wrote the Old Testament? The Jewish guys. They wrote it. And they don't see Jesus as the Messiah. But I see it clearly, and I'm not Jewish. Have some Jews turned to Christ? Yes. Ave Mizrachi, the guy that runs that ministry in Tel Aviv. He, he came to Christ. But as a nation, as a people, no, they have not. Then why not? I'll answer the question this way. It's not time yet. But maybe that time is really soon. Is it a mystery? Can we possibly understand the mystery? What if I tell you that the Apostle Paul reveals the mystery? We're still in Romans 11. He's still writing to Gentile church, right? Here we go. Verse 25. Paul says, I want you to understand a mystery. He's talking to Gentiles, so let's understand a mystery together tonight. Dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves, you Gentiles in the church age, some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last, how long? Only until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. And so, all Israel will be saved. What? When, when the full number of Gentiles comes in, he says, and so, all Israel will be saved. As the scriptures say, the one who rescues Israel will come from where? Washington, D.C. No, that's not right. Where? Jerusalem. Who is he? I'll give you a hint. He's Jewish. 
the one who rescues will come from Jerusalem. And when he does, he's going to do something. He will turn Israel away from ungodliness. And this is my covenant with them that I, who turns them away from ungodliness, will take away what? Their sins. Well, that's what he did for me. That, that's what he did for me. He's going to do that for them. Verse 28. Many of the people of Israel are now enemies of the good news. What's the good news? It's the gospel. And this benefits you Gentiles. Yet they are still, Paul says they are still the people he loves because he chose their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For God's gift and his call can never be withdrawn. What God promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's going to keep his word. Now, I believe the full number of Gentiles coming to Christ that Paul just talked about is the day of the rapture. Let's make it clear. Some people disagree with me, that's okay. It's not a point of salvation. I believe the full number of Gentiles coming to Christ is the day of the rapture of the church. Ending the church age, which God has poured out His grace and mercy upon the rest of the world, the Gentiles, me, you, if you're in the room today and you tell me you don't believe in a rapture, maybe you wouldn't say it out loud, but you're saying it to yourself. If you're in the room today and you say in your heart, I never believed in a rapture, I think that's you edgy people that talk like that, then I say, yes, you do. Yes, you do. Believing in the rapture is not the point of contention in the Bible. If you believe the Bible to be the Word of God, you believe in a rapture. Maybe just you don't know it yet. The question is not the rapture. Listen, the question cannot be the rapture if you believe in the Bible. The question is this, will there be anybody left behind after the rapture? That's the question. It's not a question of the rapture. So if you want to argue with me about the rapture, you're just going to lose. Because there's going to be a rapture. If you want to argue about who's going to be left behind after the rapture, now that's an argument point but not the rapture itself. If you believe the Bible, you believe in a rapture. And I'll tell you what the word rapture means. Caught up. So if I argue with somebody and they say, well, do you believe in the rapture? No, I don't believe in the rapture. Do you believe in the caught up? Well, do you believe in the caught up? I'm going to read it to you. Paul writes, again, a Gentile church. Are you with me? A Gentile church. He says this, we tell you this directly from the Lord. If you want to say he's making it up, go ahead. But he says he got it from Jesus. I tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns. So I'm going to do a poll right now. That's us. I don't see anybody dead in the room yet. We who are still living. So as of this moment, that qualifies everybody in this room. We who are still living when the Lord returns. If the Lord comes back tonight, that's us right now. What's going to happen? We who are, I got this directly from the Lord. That's what he said. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who are dead. So, we're talking about believers. So, I'll just use my dead grandmother. My dead grandmother, I'm not going to get ahead of her if Jesus comes tonight. She's still going to beat me. Okay, my dead grandmother's faster than me. How's that? Let me read it again. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet Him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with the commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. And first, the Christians who have died. Notice Christians. If, you, if you're not a Christian, you're going to stay in there with the worms. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. And then, number two, together with those, in case you're wondering, there's a big time gap between one and two. He says, together with those Christians rising, we who are still alive and we who are still on the earth when that trumpet goes off will be caught up in the clouds, caught up. What do you think the word caught up? You just heard the rapture. We'll be caught up in the clouds. Are you, where's Jesus when this happens? Is he standing in Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives? No, he's not. Where's he at? 
I can read. He's in the clouds calling up Christians who have died and Christians who are alive. Not calling them to Jerusalem, is he? He's calling them to the clouds. What's going to happen then? Here it goes. I'm not making it up. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Did it work? How many of y'all encouraged? Raise your hand. How many of y'all dizzy? A couple of you. I believe this event of the called up is the day that the full number of Gentiles have come into Christ. I believe this event is the end of the church age and the beginning of the final call of Jacob, whose name is Israel. If so, then how does God reach the Jewish people around the earth who live in unbelief in the absence of the church? The church just checked out. They just left. And God, the full number of Gentiles, and so all Israel be saved. How's he going to reach all Israel around the world who live in unbelief? How's he going to do it? Here we go. All of that so we can just get started, okay? Now we can get started. The Revelation part 3, 144,000. Revelation 7 verse 4. And I heard how many were marked with the seal of God. Are you with me? There's a group of people, and I believe this happens after the rapture of the church. They're going to be marked with the seal of God. And I'll get into detail about that in a minute. 144,000 were sealed from all tribes of Israel. All the tribes of Israel. From Judah, 12,000. From Reuben, 12,000. From Gad, 12,000. From Asher, 12,000. From Naphtali, 12,000. From Manasseh, 12,000. From Simeon, 12,000. From Levi, 12,000. From Issachar, 12,000. From Sebulon, 12,000. From Joseph, 12,000. From Benjamin, 12,000. Now, I have heard some people tell me that these 144,000 are representatives or witnesses of the church of Jesus Christ. But the Scripture clearly defines, you're, you're going to have to read it with your eyes shut, the Scripture clearly defines what? That these are from the 12 tribes of Israel. I can read. Again, I see another attempt, and I've heard it all my life. Another attempt to state that the church has replaced Israel. That Israel has no relevance. I find that in Scripture nowhere. Instead, I see that the church has been invited to join Israel as God's children. Amen? We weren't invited to replace Israel. We were invited to join Israel. Spiritually speaking... Gentile Christians have been adopted into the family of Abraham. If Abraham is the root of the tree, there are branches that have been broken off through unbelief, and we Gentiles have taken place on the tree where the Jews were at originally. We have been grafted in. How do, where do I get that? Galatians 3.6. Again, Paul writing, guess who? To a Gentile church. In the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God. How were you saved? I can tell you how I was saved. I was saved because I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, the real children of Abraham are those who put their faith in God. It doesn't matter what your bloodline is, what your genealogy is. The real, in the end, when all is said and done, the children of Abraham, those who belong to that tree, will be those who have faith in God. 144,000 divided by 12 is 12,000. That's a lot of 12s. 12 is a big and important number to God. Go back in the Old Testament, you're going to see something. The Jewish high priest wore a breastplate bearing 12 precious stones. Why? The table of showbread in the temple had 12 loaves of bread on it. Why? There are 12 gates in the city of God, and every one of those cases, every one of them that I just read to you, they all, when I say why, they all represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Every one of them. Jesus mentions the 12 when talking to the 12 apostles in the New Testament. I'm going to read it to you, Matthew 19. 
Then Peter said to him, we've given up everything to follow you. What are we going to get? Peter, can you imagine Peter looking at Jesus and saying, what are we going to get? We've get what are we going to get? I don't know why I find that funny, but I do. What are we going to get? We've given up everything. Listen to Jesus' answer. Yes, Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on what? Twelve thrones. Judging the twelve tribes of Israel. In the Revelation, Jesus gives the message to the seven churches and then the church specifically isn't mentioned anymore. Not at all after chapter 3. We touched on that heavily in our first session. In fact, what does it say in the beginning of chapter 4? And God caught John up, said, come up here and I'm going to show you what must happen after that. What is the after that? After that is his message to the seven churches. And after that, the church isn't mentioned anymore in Revelation until the end. Why? Something happens after that. John's message to the seven churches is a picture. Listen, it's a picture of the church age that will end with the rapture of the church when Jesus comes for his bride. The dead in Christ are going to rise and those who are alive are going to rise to meet the Lord in the air. The revelation then does something. Listen, it does something. It reveals, it turns to the seven seals of chapter 6. And, I, and you've got to notice the order. The church is gone. Come up here, John, and I'll show you what must take place after this. And the next full scene, full scene, is what I'm about to show you. He then reveals seven seals. Who's opening the seals? It's seals. This, they're closed. Somebody has to open the seven seals. I'll just tell you, Jesus is the only one that can open the seven seals. So what is the first seal? Well, I'll, I'll briefly, and then I'll come back to it. The white horse. Now, here's my experience. Most people who read Revelation will read the white horse and think, well, that's Jesus. The first of the seven seals is Jesus. You'd be wrong. He's a white horse, but not in this chapter. This one is the imposter. He is the false Christ. Why? Because he comes in conquering power. He's not Jesus. He is the false, the false Christ. Number two, there's a red horse. War, representing war and bloodshed. Now, now, now listen, as I read this, I want you to notice something. The church is gone. Somebody say hallelujah. The church is gone when these seven seals are open. Come up here, John, and I will show you what must take place after this. A white horse come to conquer the earth. A red horse, war and bloodshed. A black horse, famine. A pale green ashen horse representing pestilence and death. Number five, souls under the altar martyred during the tribulation. We covered that, what, two weeks ago. Number six, the sixth seal, the whole earth trembles and physical changes take place in what we know as earth and the heavens around the earth. Now, that's only six, but there's seven. I want to read to you the events of the sixth seal. Are you with me? There's seven seals that have to open. I want to read to you the detail of the sixth seal because it precedes the seventh seal, which is the sealing of the 144,000. If you want to know what the 144,000 are going to do and why they're called and why they're sealed, you better understand number six because they follow the sixth seal. Notice the sequence of events and by the way, I'm going to say it again. These events follow the age of the church. Verse 12. I watched in the Lamb. Who's the Lamb? Say it out loud. Who's the Lamb? Jesus. I watched as the Lamb broke the sixth seal. And there was a great earthquake. The sun became as dark as black cloth and the moon became as red as blood. 
Then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from a tree shaken by a strong wind. The sky was rolled up like a scroll and all the mountains and islands were moved from their places. Then everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, every slave and free person, all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains and they cried out to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us! What's happening that you want a mountain to fall on you? Fall on us to hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And here comes the question. Who is able to survive? The Lamb is Jesus, and Jesus has broken the sixth seal. And the question, please do not miss the question at the end of the sixth seal. What's the question? Who's going to survive? It is in this context, answering that question, that chapter 7 opens. How does it open? Next verse. Then I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds so that they did not blow on the earth or on the sea or even on any tree. And I saw another angel coming up from the east, carrying the seal of the living God. Please don't miss it. The angel comes and he's carrying the seal of the living God. What is this seal? When you get sealed by this living God, you belong to him. You're his. This angel's carrying a seal of the living God. And he shouted to the four angels. What four angels? The white horse, the red horse, the black horse, and the pale green horse. He shouted to them, wait! Well, they're bringing destruction on the earth, right? He shouted to those four angels who had been given the power to harm land and sea. Wait! Don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until what? Until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of His servants. Who are they? And I heard how many were marked with the seal of God. 144,000 were sealed from all the tribes of Israel. And I won't read the rest of those. It's 12, 12, 12, 12, 12. 144,000 sealed by God. And they are all from the 12 tribes of Israel. They are all Jewish. Why? Why? The seal of God is on their forehead. A mark of ownership. And this seal is going to do something. Listen, this is amazing to me. This seal is going to protect them. And this seal is going to commission them to complete the calling of God that He's about to place upon them. God's not going to send you out to do something until He seals you and completes you and empowers you to do it. What He calls, He equips. What is the context of this seal of God? This is one of my favorite parts tonight, by the way. What's the context of these sealing of 144,000? It answers the question of the sixth seal. Who's going to survive? I can tell you 144,000 that are going to survive. Because that's the question of the sixth seal. Who's going to survive this? When God called Noah, He sealed him. And He separated Noah so that he would survive. Noah didn't survive because he could build a boat. He survived because God sealed him. When God sealed Lot and his family, when judgment was coming upon Sodom, why did Lot make it out of the city? Because God sealed him. God sealed the firstborn of all Jewish families in Egypt from the judgment of the death angel at the Passover. That's how they survived. They were sealed by God, marked by God, by the blood of the Lamb. They were marked. You don't have that mark, you don't have that seal, you don't have that ownership, you're going to die. Even though Elijah thought he was the only one left in all the land that still followed God, God revealed something. Listen, listen, listen. This is big. God revealed something to Elijah. I have sealed 7,000 who will follow you. They will not bow to false gods. 
God told the angel of the seventh seal, wait. The sealing of the 144,000 must preserve the remnant of Israel. Wait. They must be sealed first. Now, look at verse 3. Revelation 7, 3. Wait. Don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of the servants. Why? The remnant of God must be protected. This seal of God is the protection of God and the equipping for the purpose of God. The very call of God is the ownership of God. God sealed His people in the church age. You know what? You think He's sealing people today? You better hope He's sealing people today. And I'm going to ask you, before I read it, how does He seal people in the church age? You get a tattoo on your forehead? Is that how it works? You get the Holy Spirit inside you. It's the seal. I'm going to tell you what, if you don't have that Holy Spirit seal inside of you, you're going to die. And you'll spend eternity in hell. You won't survive. What's the sixth seal? Who is going to survive? The sealed will survive. It's the same in the church age. Let me read it to you. 2 Corinthians 1.21 Now, it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set His seal of ownership on us, and He put His Spirit in our hearts as what? As a deposit guaranteeing that which is to come. What guarantees you that which is to come? The Holy Spirit. It is the mark of God. Listen, I'm going to put it this way. It is the mark of God that says He owns you. I belong to Him. He purchased me with the blood of His Son. Somebody say hallelujah. That's the best deal ever happened in my life. He purchased me. Ephesians 1.13 And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal. What is it? The promised Holy Spirit, which is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. This seal comes with the warning. Uh-oh, uh-oh. The seal of God comes with the warning, Ephesians 4.30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. How do you do that? Anybody want to guess? I'm going to tell you what. Listen, I'll tell you this. The church in America today is grieving the Holy Spirit. Yes, it is. And he said, don't you do it. Don't you do it. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. How do you grieve the Holy Spirit? You refuse to listen to Him. And you refuse to obey Him. So what is the purpose and calling of the 144,000 that received the seal of God during the Great Tribulation? What's their purpose? What's their commission? We today know the impact that the Apostle Paul, sealed by God, had upon the Gentile world. And he's one guy. One guy. Paul changed planet Earth. He's one man. What do you think will happen when 144,000 Apostle Pauls are set loose on the earth during the tribulation in the midst of the absence of the church? What do you think is going to happen when he turns loose 144,000 Apostle Pauls? To answer that question, specifically, I want to do something. This is my second most favorite part tonight. I want to go to Revelation 14. I'll jump ahead. Then I saw the Lamb standing on Mount Zion. Now He's not in the clouds, is He? Uh-uh, uh-uh. He's not in the clouds. He's standing on Mount Zion. He's standing in Jerusalem. And with Him are who? 144,000 who had His name and His Father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard the sound from heaven like the roar of mighty ocean waves or the rolling of loud thunder. It was like the sound of many harpists playing together. This great choir sang a wonderful new song in front of the throne of God before the four living beings and the 24 elders. And no one could learn this song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. And they have kept themselves as pure as virgins following the Lamb wherever He goes. 
They have been purchased from among the people of the earth. Who? Who? These 140,000. 144,000. They have been purchased from among the people of the earth. And I'll insert, during the great tribulation, as a special offering to God, a special offering to the Lamb, they have told no lies, and they are without blame. They're holy men. 144,000 marked, sealed, full of the Holy Spirit, holy men. They're going to turn the world upside down. They don't have much time. 144,000 holy men on a mission of God. They are introduced and sealed in chapter 7. But now in chapter 14, they are all standing with Jesus. And guess what? Here, I told you it was my second favorite thing. Guess what? The number is the same. You know what that means? They all made it. None of them died. None of them died. They're in the tribulation. Thousands and hundreds of thousands of people are going to die. They're not going to die. The number is the same. They've been sealed and protected during the great tribulation. All of them have survived. All of them. 144,000 got the seal, got the mark, got the calling. And 144,000 are still with Jesus when Jesus comes and stands on the, Mount of, on, the, on the Mount of Zion in Jerusalem. They all made it. What was the question when they opened the sixth seal? Who's going to survive? The ones marked are going to survive. They're going to survive. Now, that's the good news. They're telling people about Jesus during the tribulation. They're standing with Christ in Jerusalem with the Father's name written on their forehead. And the Antichrist could not steal them because he's on the earth during that seven years. He could not steal them, he could not mark them, and he could not kill them. Because I'm going to tell you, there's some stealing and marking and killing going on in those seven years. But he couldn't do it to them. Were they successful in their ministry to the Lamb during the seven-year tribulation? Yes. Will there be great soul harvest during the tribulation? Yes. Let me say this. Perhaps the greatest soul harvest in the history of mankind. Some of you might think, well, why do you say that? Well, hang on. Let me ch will there be a great soul harvest during the tribulation? Let me change the question. Do you think there will be a great soul harvest before the rapture? Let's back into this, okay? I've told you that I believe the greatest, perhaps the greatest soul harvest on in human history will happen during the seven-year tribulation under the power of the 144,000 evangelists sealed by God. Will there be a great soul harvest leading up to the rapture of the church before the tribulation begins? Think about it, think about it, think about it. Let me begin by answering the second question first. Will there be a great revival before the rapture of the church? No. That's the bad news. There will be a great apostasy. A great falling away. Yes, some people will come to Christ. But more will fall away. So listen carefully to what I'm saying. Between now and the rapture of the church, the Bible specifically says that a great apostasy is coming. That's a fancy word that means a great falling away. You can't fall away from something you have not been at. It's an impossibility. I want to read it to you. It's not my opinion. The Apostle Paul tells us specifically. And in case you're wondering, how do you know that applies to the end? Because I can read. Verse 1. Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming. What are we talking about? The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to meet Him. That's what we're talking What's the context? Jesus coming, the gathering of the church. Don't be, don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them even if they claim they have a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. Don't be fooled by, that, by what they say for that day. What day? The coming of the Lord when He gathers us to Him. For that day will not come 
until the great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Until there is, until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed. What two things have to happen? What two things? That day will not come. What day? The, re- the gathering of those to meet the Lord. That day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God. We're seeing it today. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. Two things. I want you to put them in your mind. Two things. That day cannot come until these two things happen. Now you might say, well, there's always been a rebellion. To that I'd say, yeah, to some degree it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. You won't be able to say the man of lawlessness has been revealed because he has not, not yet. Who is he? The one who brings destruction. Verse 4, he, he, who is he, by the way, church? He's the Antichrist. Now I want you to put that in your mind again. That day cannot come until the church rebels against God and the Antichrist is revealed. He, the Antichrist, will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God. And by the way, he can't sit in the temple of God if there's not a temple, and right now there's no temple. So you can't say it's happened. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that I told you about all this when I was with you? And you know what's holding him back. (laughs) I wish he'd have gone on and wrote it in there because a lot of people still struggle with it. Do you know what's holding him back? What? Do you know what's holding back the Antichrist? What is the restrainer of evil? What's the restrainer of Satan? What's holding him back? Why don't he just come on? That's a teaser. Let's wait a minute. And you know what's holding him back, for he can be revealed only when his time comes, for this lawlessness is already at work secretly. And it will remain a secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Who's holding back the Antichrist? The church. You are. You are. Now, I'd like for us to feel real good and puff up our chest, but the reality is none of us can do that. But the Spirit of Christ that has marked and sealed us is inside of us. And He's holding back the darkness. He's holding it back. And by the way, in light of that thought that the Holy Spirit inside the church is holding back the darkness, what's going to happen before the Antichrist is revealed? The church that has the Holy Spirit will rebel against God and walk away from his word. And the Antichrist will come. They will release the power that holds back the darkness. The word of God and the Holy Spirit. They'll release them. They'll, that is the apostasy. That is it. Let me read to you from the New American Standard Bible that same verse, verse 2. Let, let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come. What? That day will not come until the apostasy, unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. So let me put it like this. See, I'm convinced that the church, I have people come to me all the time and say, who, you think this guy's the Antichrist? You think this guy's the Antichrist? I said, I don't plan on ever knowing who the Antichrist is. I don't think I'll ever know. I'll have to watch it on a big screen in heaven. You know why? I won't be here. See, the Antichrist is going to be revealed. That day cannot come until the apostasy occurs and the man of lawlessness. But by the time those things happen, the church is gone. And apostasy is not a revival. I'm going back to the question. Do you think there's going to be a revival as we head toward the rapture of the church? And apostasy is not a revival. There's going to be a revival, an awakening in Israel, around the Jews around the world. It's not going to happen in the church. It's going to be a great falling away. The Bible speaks of a great revival. 
but it takes place after the rapture of the church. And this revival will take place as 144,000 evangelists are released upon the earth in the midst of the great tribulation. In the, listen, in the absence of the church. Three things will remain upon the earth after the rapture that will create a great revival. Come on, stay with me because this is big. Three things. You might, what's going to create a revival if the church is gone? Three things. The Bible. It'll still be here. Number two, the 144,000. They will rise in the power of Christ. And number three, there's two witnesses who are going to show up. That's next week's topic, next Wednesday night. The Apostle John in Revelation speaks specifically to the impact and the result of these three during the tribulation. What three? The Bible, the Word of God, the 144,000 evangelists, and the two witnesses that will supernaturally rise. The whole world will watch them. Notice that these come from every tribe, tongue, and nation, which fulfills Jesus' Olivet Discourse. What I'm about to tell you, this scene is a worldwide event. So if you're hearing me tonight and you think this is going to be a Middle East problem, you'd be wrong. This, what's going to happen in Revelation covers the globe. No one will survive because you're geographically in a safe place. No, it covers the planet. Matthew 24, this is Jesus' Olivet Discourse. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all the nations will hear it and then the end will come. Now, how many of y'all grew up believing that that meant that the church had to preach to all the world before Jesus can come? That's what they always told me. What if that's not correct? What if the coverage, the final calling to touch the whole world will actually be accomplished by the 144,000 evangelists during the tribulation? You ever thought about that? Will it be the 144,000 Jewish evangelists that complete this final preaching of the gospel to the whole world during the tribulation? And you might say, well, where do you get that? Is that supposition? No, I'm going to tell you where I get it. Revelation 7, starting in verse 9. After this, by the way, that's after the sealing of the 144,000, I saw a vast crowd too great to count. This is why we think this number of the awakening may be larger than anything that ever happened on the earth. I saw a vast crowd too great to count from every nation, from every tribe, and every people, and every language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. Who are they? Are they church-age people or are they tribulation-age people? Which one? Now hold on, hold on. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a mighty, mighty shout, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And the angels who were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings. And they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and worshiped God. They sang, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the 24 elders asked me, who are these who are clothed in white? Well, I'm glad he asked because that's what I was going to ask. Who are they? They're without number. You can't count them. And they're from every tribe and tongue and nation on the planet. Who are they? Where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you are the one who knows. And then he said to me, These are the ones who died in the great tribulation. I don't have to guess who they are. I know who they are. It's not the church age. They died in the seven-year tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and made them white. Some people may hear this session tonight and make the tribulation saint revival your backup plan. I'm going to tell you, I know how people think. I deal with this stuff every day. Maybe you're in the room today and you're thinking, you have just taken a load off of me. You have told me that the lar largest, <laughs> largest Revival, perhaps in human history, will take place in the seven-year tribulation following the rapture of the church. Ha! Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we'll see what happens. You might say, I'll wait and see if the rapture thing's real and Terry really isn't crazy. Good luck with that. 
Why would I say good luck with them? Are you a Gentile? Yep, you are. I believe there will be saved Gentiles. Listen, don't misquote me. I believe there will be saved Gentiles during the tribulation. Just as there have been saved Jews during the church age. Yep, 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 I do. But the full number of Gentiles has come in. I didn't write that. Paul says, and when the full number of Gentiles comes in. Are you a Gentile? If that very flawed thought is somewhere somewhere in the back of your mind, I want you to listen to this in closing tonight. The rapture occurs and then the angel announces the seven sealed scrolls are opened immediately thereafter. So I want you to visualize the rapture happens and immediately they start opening the seven seals. And you're thinking, hey, I got time. You're an idiot if you're thinking you got time. You see those? One through five, one through six, one through seven. The seventh is the ceiling of the 144,000. I want to close tonight with this thought. I want to read to you the details of the first six seals and ask you a question. Do you want to be here for this? Because this follows the rapture of the church. Do you want to, be, do you want to see this? As I watched, the Lamb broke the first of the seven seals of the scroll. And then I heard one of the four living beings say with the voice like thunder, Come. I looked up and I saw a white horse standing there and its rider carried a bow and a crown was placed on his head. He rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. When the Lamb broke the second seal, I heard a second living being saying, Come. Then another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from the earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. When the Lamb broke the third seal, I heard the third living being saying, Come. I looked up and I saw a black horse and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings saying, A loaf of wheat bread and three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay. And don't waste the olive oil and the wine. When the Lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living being saying, Come. I looked up and I saw a horse whose color was pale green. Its rider was named Death and his companion was the grave. These two were given authority over one-fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and famine and disease and wild animals. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all those who had been martyred for the Word of God and for being faithful to their testimony. They shouted to the Lord, O Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus, who were going to be martyred, had joined them. I watched as the Lamb broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun became as dark as black cloth, and the moon became as red as blood. Then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from a shaken tree from a tree shaken by a strong wind. The sky was rolled up like a scroll, and all the mountains and islands were moved from their places. Then everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and free person, all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they cried to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to survive? You want to be here for that? I don't. Wait and see. Is that your plan? That's not a plan. That's suicide. Hebrews chapter 2. Listen carefully. So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus Himself and then delivered to us by those who heard Him speak? And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever He chose. Here's my final question to all of you tonight. Have you been sealed by God through the Holy Spirit? It's a yes or no. Do you tonight in this room know you have been sealed by God? The Holy Spirit has marked you. You belong to God. You are His property. You are His son. You are His daughter. I can tell you nothing else is going to matter.
2 Corinthians 1.22 Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set His seal of ownership on us, put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. The Holy Spirit is the restrainer of evil, holding back the darkness on planet Earth even today. And what do you think is going to happen when the church is raptured? Do you want to be here the next day? Father, tonight we give you thanks for your word. We acknowledge that you are holy, you are righteous, you have given us mercy. You have opened up a window to the Gentile world, the church age, where we can call upon Jesus Christ and find salvation. Father, I pray that your mercy and grace would be upon your church, that you would awaken your bride. She'd be ready for this wedding. And I pray for the day. I pray for the day that you call us home. Would you find us ready? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for being here.